Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Well, we knew who was playing who. We just didn't know when it was going to happen. GM Shuffle, is always a pleasure to have you along for the ride. The NFL schedule was released last night. We're taping this Friday morning. And certainly there was lots of different options out there. And the famous word you hear right now is contingency plans. We're not only going to talk about the schedule today, but also Andy Dalton going to be backing up Dak Prescott, the passing of an NFL legend. And of course, for guys like me and Mike, we love this. David Chase writing a special quarantine episode for The Sopranos. I know you all been waiting for this. Mike's review of the home land finale. We'll get to all that in a second, but first, let's begin with that schedule, Mike. How about this in terms of different options? 2,400 cloud computers were used. They generated 34,000 playable schedules. The NFL reviewed 289 of them by hand, looking at impossible combinations and how it can all work. And we're going to get to these quarterback matchups, which really do highlight everything. But something that's interesting right out of the gate, Every team plays two home and two away games in the first month of the season. But otherwise, the NFL not really tipping their hand as to how they'll impact things if indeed COVID-19 is still impacting the season in September. What was your big takeaway when you saw the sked? I thought two things. The first, I thought that, you know, they're, we're going to play 16 games. I don't think they're going to give in to the give in. Now, we may start later. I'm not disputing that. But I think we're going to play 16 games somehow, some way. And then I thought Monday night football, even though we're not sure who's going to do it, I thought Monday night football might have had their best slate ever. I mean, you know, now I know week one sucks, but week two, they get the Saints and the Raiders. Good game, right? In the new Las Vegas stadium. They come back in week three and get Chiefs at Ravens. I mean, seriously. I mean, there's a lot of good games here. You know, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting. I mean, Bucks at Giants, you would say, well, that's not a good game. What's well, Brady now, right? And, you know, it's just to me, there's it's just I thought the Monday night slate was really I think ABC and Disney, even though we don't know if Joe and, and, and Shallow Cross and, and, and my man uh, Booger. Uh, Booger are going to be there. But, hey, you know, I mean, I think I think that's good. I think it's good for all of us to have a good Monday night slate. No doubt about it. Out of the gate, you mentioned they always have the doubleheader. That'll be September 14th. That's the Steelers and the Giants. And then you got Tennessee and Denver. So those are the games you were saying, okay, fine, whatever. I mean, Pittsburgh and Giants, obviously big teams. Tennessee, Denver, the second game, no big deal. But you're right. As far as after that, it's a pretty good slate and a good sign, certainly, in terms of trying to bring the sizzle back to Monday night football. The first game, as always, Mike, is a great kickoff. You always expect that. And that's why uh, September 10th is the first game, Houston, Kansas City. Right away, you go, okay, yeah, Watson, Mahomes, I'm fired up for that. But of course, as you mentioned, the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. I mean, what a difference a year makes now. They're going to be featured all over the place. And week one, Bucks at the Saints. You're getting Tom Brady in a Bruce Arians offense against Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Seriously, cannot wait for that game. No, I mean, you know, this is going to be incredible. So we get, you know, and we get to see that. I mean, this is what happens when teams have star power. That's why, you know, you wonder why Cam Newton isn't working for somebody, right? You know, if he was working for a team, you'd think, oh, there's another guy who could be a star power player. People will watch Cam Newton play. But, you know, it's interesting. And I love how Vegas, AD, has been able to put the odds in the games right now. Like they've handicapped the game. I mean, Kansas City, they don't even know if there's going to be fans in the stadium. And Kansas City's a 10.5-point favorite over the no-respect Texans. I mean, the Texans get zero respect whatsoever. So 
I mean, I'm inclined to let take the Texans in the ten and a half points on the road. Are you kidding me? If there's nobody in the stadium, you got to lug that one, right? Oh yeah. And how about the Browns? A darling of a season ago, they're against Baltimore Week One, eight and a half dogs. That makes sense. Yeah. And a team that you focused on a lot in the past, and they're going to say, "Hey, we're still here." That's the New England Patriots. They're opening up against Miami. They'll be at home, six and a half points. They're the favorite there. But how about this Pats game? Uh, in week seven, Niners at the Patriots. Could be Jimmy G, Garoppolo versus Jarrett Stidham, the post-Brady era at a couple of guys Bill Belichick obviously had an eye on and one guy he stuck with. Yeah, I, I think it was interesting. You know, they they talked to Bill last night after the, I don't know, I didn't watch the program on NFL Network. I just read the clips this morning. And, and he's, what we've been saying all along on the GM Shuffle is that, you know, he likes Stidham. You know, he likes Stidham. He thinks Stidham's going to be a good player. And so he doesn't want to bring somebody in that's going to, you know, he wants to give Stidham an opportunity to see what he can do. And, you know, I wrote this piece today for The Athletic about Cam Newton. And I really think that if Cam Newton's shoulder foot could get a physical and if the Patriots had cap room, I think there would be some interest there. I do. However, that those two variables haven't come to t- come to place. I mean, the Patriots would need to get Joe Tooney's contract under control. But I do think there is when you compare Stidham, as we said after the draft, Stidham to Jake Fromm. All due respect to to the the drafters, you know, they, they don't even see that as close. I mean, they don't even see that as close. And and. Stidham to Love or Stidham to Eason or Stidham to, you know, I think Stidham to Herbert was going to give them pause, but I don't think anybody else, and, and to a, a medically and all that, you know, six feet, I don't think that was going to fly. So, look, I think he, they've been pretty consistent in what they saw last year in Stidham, and they think now it's got a proof has got to come in the pudding. Is, are they good enough? Is he good enough? You know, Jacksonville has Gardner Minshew. And he started 12 games last year. I don't think their quarterback situation is very good. However, you know, you could easily say, well, based on based on just depth charts, New England's quarterback situation doesn't look very good. It's all going to come down to Belichick's ability if he's right on Stidham. No question about that. You mentioned Tua Tungavailoa. Bengals at the Dolphins, week 13. That should be Joe Burrow versus Tua. That should be interesting to see a couple of freshman quarterbacks. Ravens at the Steelers, week 12. That's a Thanksgiving night treat. Who knows how many more years we get of a perhaps a healthy Ben Rossiber against Lamar Jackson. Obviously, Chiefs-Bucks games are all going to be must-watch. Mike, week 12 is a big one. It's Chiefs at the Bucks. Mahomes versus Brady might be the last time now that they're not in the same conference. Yeah, that that's going to be a good one, and and we hope that you know the, the the one thing about schedules is they all look you know here we are in May everybody's healthy, but schedules in November and December because of the health of the team always become a problem. Like let's just take the Ravens for example, right? The Ravens I think are at eleven on the over under on their win total. Look at look at the Ravens month of December schedule. They get Cleve. They got to go on the road to Cleveland. It's a Monday night game on ESPN. Good game, right? They come home. They go home against Jacksonville, home against the Giants, and they got to end their season at Cincinnati. I mean, if you look at that schedule, that's four wins that they should get in the month of December. I mean, that's a really easy on the surface month of December. I mean, you got Jacksonville picked in the top 10. The Giants picked in the top 10. The Bengals had the first pick, and the and the Browns were in the top 10. I mean, think about that. That That's a really kind of – that's the way you want to end the season. And, you know, look, they start off with Cleveland, Houston, Kansas City, and Washington. So 
you know, they got a couple hard games there, but they got two games and then they got Cincinnati. I mean, I think the I think the Ravens schedule where it is. I think if they're not over 12, it would be a shock to me. Certainly could be a big year for Lamar and company. Now, uh, Brady obviously no longer in the AFC either. One more one for you. Eagles at the Cowboys. You feel like you get used to this now. Week 16, the two best teams, the NFC East, will meet likely with the division title on the line. We saw what happened a season ago. Obviously, the schedule always tries to set this up, but you're right. you got to hope that Carson Wentz is healthy. The Cowboys are actually playing to potential under Mike McCarthy. But week 16, Eagles and the boys, that's always fun. Yeah, and I think that when you look at the Eagles' schedule, you know, their win totals, I think, at nine and a half. And you, you look at the Eagles' schedule here, and you start out with week four. They got to go to San Francisco, hard game. They come back, play Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, hard game. Right. And then after Pittsburgh, after Pittsburgh beats you up physically, they got to play Baltimore who beats you up. Right. So there's three really hard games in a row. And then everybody says, well, they get an easy Thursday night game against the Giants. After you played three hard games in a row, two of them on the road, you know, and then you got Baltimore at home. That won't be an easy game, the Giant game. And then Sunday to start November, you got you got Dallas at home. I mean, those are really that that stretch from the begin from the October through November for the Eagles is going to determine their season. And then it gets more interesting. Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans all packed together and after Thanksgiving. Those three games, and then they end in week 16, like you say, with Dallas. I mean, I think that's a really hard schedule. If they have any injuries at all to their team, which is what they've usually had, this can be a real huge problem for them. Interesting, especially the wide receivers that we've discussed that clearly have been very uh, underwhelming in terms of good health, especially a season ago. Uh, any final thoughts on the schedule before we move to Fournette and Dalton? You know, I, I think this, I, I think the one thing when you when you look at it, and everybody does the one-loss records after the schedule, which to me is, it, that might be dumber than doing that might be dumber than doing uh, grades on a mock draft. Like seriously, <laughs> that, you know, predicting one loss records on the schedule. But I think that I think you have to take the if you're going to bet any of the over the unders, and there's a ton of them to bet, and it's and there's some that are really good. Is I think you really have to spend time looking at the schedule. Like let's just say the okay, let's take let's take a team for example, the Chicago Bears, one of my all time favorites here with MVP Mitch, who will be the starter on 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 opening day. Trust me on this one. He will be the starter when they go to Detroit. Mitch Trubisky will not lose his job to Nick Foles in preseason. He will only lose his job in the month of September if he fails. But let's look at the Bears. The Bears are at eight. They open up. They go on the road to Detroit. That'll be a harder game. But we know Detroit's secondary might be a little bit better now with Okuda and all that. They come back. They play the Giants at home. They go to Atlanta. That'll be a hard game. They got Indianapolis and Tampa at home. All right. I mean, so they've got five games coming out. Now, I think Indy and Tampa, those will be challenging games offensively because they'll, you know, can Trubisky make enough plays against two really good coordinators there? So we'll see. And then you look, they end the season with Houston, Minnesota, Jacksonville, and Green Bay. You know, so they play Green Bay twice in the second half after the season. Can they get, can you find eight wins on that schedule that are easy? I think that's a hard thing to do. And if their quarterback has any issues, which he does, it's even harder to do. So I think that's to me how if you're going to play the over and under, you got to look at the schedule. You got to look at the last part of the season, November. What quarterbacks are you playing in the second half of the season? For example, the Bears. Okay. They have the bye week, week 11. They come back. They got Aaron Rodgers. They got Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins, Gardner Minshew, and Aaron Rodgers. Those are six quarterbacks they got to play in the last half of the season that are good quarterback. Five of them are really good. 
One, you know, is is a hit or miss hit or miss guy. Five really good quarterbacks to close the season. You think they're going to win eight games? Good luck. <laughs> good luck, Bears fans. It could be messy. Uh, stay tuned. We come back. Andy Dalton heading to Dallas to back up Dak Prescott. And after weeks of trade speculation, Jaguars GM Dave Caldwell says, yeah, Leonard Fournette, of course he's staying here. All that and more coming up after this. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. Well, the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, often if they have a plan, Mike, we're, we're foreign to exactly what the hell that plan is. Leonard Fournette, who was a very high pick, I believe he was fourth overall for the Jaguars, expected to be a feature part of the offense. Well, certainly it's been up and down for him with Jacksonville. Thought maybe he'd be on the move, but Jacksonville GM Dave Caldwell telling Pro Football Talk on Monday during an appearance on the site's podcast. To be honest with you, there were some minor discussions with that, but nothing substantial throughout the draft or prior to the draft. I think the mindset is we're going to go forward with Leonard on the team. I had a good talk with him Friday. I know Coach Mona's had some discussion with him. He seems to be in great shape and mental frame of mind, and we feel that he'll have a great season this year. 1,152 yards on 265 carries and a breakout year in the pass catching department, 76 catches for 522 yards yet. You really feel like Fournette is not a guy who the Jaguars are enamored of, right? No, and I, I mean, look, he's making $4.1 million. They can't trade him because nobody wants to take on that. You know, the 76 receptions are fascinating because he averages under seven yards a catch when he catches the ball. He's limited in terms of what his passing tree is coming out of the backfield. As, as I've often said, you know, you have to evaluate running backs with block, catch, run. And, and Fournette is a run catch block guy and so whenever you have the different whenever you're line up the wrong way you've got to be dominant in an area and I mean last year he averaged four three a carry real not you know fairly respectable he's got three rushing touchdowns last year you know so and it was the best season of his career he averaged four three a carry I just to me he's a back that you like to have but you, you can't pay the fourth pick in the draft. You know, you can't pay the fourth pick in the draft for that. And and this is just something that Jacksonville, under the direction of my – I mean, I got to come up with a name for Caldwell because he's just truly remarkable. I mean, it's truly remarkable when you when, – when, when people do these studies on Twitter and of all the draft picks that they've had down there and they've looked at it, 
I mean, you, you really, it's, it's a book. It's not a 30 for 30. You can scratch that shit. It ain't a 30 for 30 on Jacksonville. It's a book. It's a novel. Like, it's it, not a novel. It's a truly a business leadership book on how not to run an organization. Like, Dell should send us down there and let us in, let us get embedded in there. You know how Richard Engel's always embedded in some war zone? Like, I don't know how the guy does it, right? We should get embedded in Jacksonville and just be able to sit there and say, now I know why they're so bad. Now I know why they're so bad. You just listen to what's going on. And I think Doug Marone's a good coach. So this is, to me, is this is outside of Marone. I'm not being critical of Marone. I'm being critical of the organization from Tony Khan and his fight with and Nagwe and, and on, on Twitter and, and all that crap. But I mean, just the fact that you know, you're out there defending your fourth pick in the draft on PFT. Like, if I were David Caldwell, I would be too embarrassed to talk. If I looked at my draft, I would be too embarrassed to talk to anybody. Like, I would be embarrassed. Like, I've been here since 13. We've had one winning season. We've had double-digit losses. Like, at some point, don't you? Like, I, I'm going to shy away from any media. But, you know, it's what it is. It is It is what it is. But I think we should get embedded in Jacksonville and then just do something for Dell. Well, I like it. By the way, thanks to everybody who gave us such kind feedback to the podcast release earlier this week in partnership with Dell. I know a lot of people have small businesses uh, sent us messages on Twitter saying they appreciate the NFL approach and advice. But but you're right, Mike. We can go from you know the anatomy of a business, the anatomy of franchise, to literally investigate our reporters. If you can play Mike Wallace, I'll play Morley Safer. We'll do 60 minutes, just barge the cameras in and do a deep dive into Jacksonville. Why it's such a crummy organization. Yeah, I wonder whatever happened to Morley Safer's plaid coats. I mean, how many of them do you think he had? <laughs> it was definitely a distinctive look. He was like, I'm, I'm dying on the plaid jacket look. I don't care. Yeah, I, I watched, uh, Millie and I watched the Natalie Wood documentary and and RJ Wagner was on there. And my man, Bill, my neighbor, who was, he, he was at, so like, the guy had an ascot on. Like, who wears an ascot in the middle of it? You know, like, like I wouldn't even think of it. I mean, I got 77 chins, so I can't wear an ascot. Like, I'm not allowed <laughs> to wear an ascot. But I mean, like, who wears an ascot in an interview? Like, seriously, the best though, I urge everybody to listen to the podcast. You have to look at George ha- George Hamilton's dress for that interview. I mean, it was like it was like it was straight out of straight out of Model One Hundred and One. And I mean, George is like eight. I mean, R.J. Wagner's ninety years old. Think about that, and he's wearing an ascot. I mean, that takes balls. <laughs> I was about to say, when you're wearing an ascot, you're trying to project a certain image, and that image is that you're a douchebag, right? <laughs> like, no, there's no way a common man, just an average guy, is like, I'm going to rock, rock an ascot today. Like, you're trying to say, I'm better than you. Look at this whiff of arrogance that I have. I'm wearing an ascot. Yeah, exactly. And I, I ended up liking R.J. Wagner. Like, I don't think he had anything to do with Lana Wood, although my man Bill thinks he did because he's a conspiracy theory. But the reality of it is, is, is the ascot just throws me all off. You know, like, I get it on George Hamilton. The guy's permanently tan. You know, but to me, like, yeah, I couldn't do that. I don't even know how the hell we got on that subject. But back to Leonard Fournette, like, they ain't getting anything for Leonard Fournette. They're going to eat that four point one million because they're going to have to. Uh, George Hamilton, you're right. Perma leather skin. I love that. All right, from Fournette to Andy Dalton, you think about Mike in football. You got to serve your role perfectly, right? Like, if ever there was a sport, hey, the left tackle, you just got to protect my ass. This is what you do. Cornerback, just locked in on the top guy. You know, right tackle, punter, long snapper, whatever. Just fill your role. Andy Dalton here. 
He's just going to fill your role. And I think he's great for this role. One-year deal with the Cowboys, base value $3 million, could be worth up to $7 million. Hey, you're 32 years old. You've done some things in the league, but it hasn't worked out as much as you'd like. But you're going to be a great backup for us. He lives in Dallas, doesn't have to move his family during this offseason because of COVID-19. He played at TCU in Fort Worth. He makes things a little easier in case Dak Prescott gets hurt. And he's closer to home. This is a solid move for the Cowboys and a solid move for Andy Dalton. Yeah, now here we go. I'm getting on my soapbox on this one, okay? First of all, the worldwide leader, okay? The worldwide leader loves to stir shit, okay? Now, Des Bryant comes out with this most ridiculous tweet about how it's disrespectful for Dak that they signed Andy Dalton. And of course, it was followed up by Donovan McNabb's even more ridiculous retweet, okay? And then the worldwide leader, they just couldn't wait to just talk about how this is insulting to Dak. Like, that has to be, this is what's wrong with us as a country. This is what's wrong with us. We focus on stuff that has really, that, that doesn't go from A to B. This is going from A to Q, right? It has nothing to do, Andy Dalton has nothing to do with Dak Prescott. Nothing. Nothing. Of course, the worldwide leader refuses to kill that story. It has nothing to do with it, right? Andy Dalton replaced the great Cooper Rush, who got cut the next day and now is on the New York football giants because the clapper loves him. That's why Dak Prescott at three to Dak Prescott and Andy Dalton are no no way. They've offered Dak one of the richest contracts in the NFL. Probably will be the highest paid player in the league, okay? They did not bring Andy Dalton in there to challenge Dak. They brought him in there so they have a backup. They got a really good team, and if Dak gets hurt, they at least have a functional backup. But they didn't have Cooper Rush back there. Okay, so how does this story, it just drives me insane that this story just keeps growing. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on at Syracuse uh, to school, broadcasting school. Is this what they're teaching us? I mean, seriously, it's like every, you know, it's like this is not the story. The story is they brought him in. You're making something out of nothing. And then that Stephen Jones comes out and says, we're going to pay Dak. Now, people that understand it, they've offered Dak. The, Dak and, and, and the Cowboys are close on the money. They're just different on the years, the term. There's no disrespect here whatsoever. And, and for me, it just, it just it so drives me crazy that we come up with a narrative and then the worldwide leader is going to run with it, right? Like, it's seriously, educate the fans, right? Andy Dalton's replacing Cooper Rush. They got a really good football team in Dallas, right? And Dak is responsible and going to be a huge part of that really good football team. But if something happens to Dak, like what happened to him when they got ready to play the Eagles and he had to take shots before and at halftime just to play in that game. And it really and had he been just maybe a little bit better, they might have won the division last year, but he wasn't. So And they couldn't go to Cooper Rush because it would have been all over. So instead of doing that, they got rid of Cooper Rush. McCarthy gets Dalton here who can manage a game for two. Look, one thing about Andy Dalton, he's not a starting quarterback. He just told us who he thinks he is by signing with Dallas, right? He don't want to be. Like they, my man David Caldwell down there, he, you know, they didn't even sign him down there. It's like, okay, the guy's got 133 career starts in the National Football League. Is he a great player? No. You know, no, he's not a great player. He's a he's a decent player who has to have a great team around him. 
and he's a 2020 quarterback. It's the it, it couldn't be a better signing for Dallas as the backup. He's never going to be able to beat out Dak. He's never going to make enough plays to challenge him. And Dak's going to be the highest paid player. So how do we end up with that story? It's definitely, uh, well, listen, ESPN's fishing for some content. Obviously, there's a dearth of actual sports content. Good to have Korean baseball on, by the way. At least there's some live sports. But you're right. Anybody who actually thinks there's a conspiracy theory, you'd have to look yourself in the mirror. I mean, Dak is obviously their answer. I don't know what Des Bryant and Donovan McNabb are thinking. I, I don't know how to speak. I mean, then they try to make it into a racial thing. I mean, it has nothing to do with race. I mean, they, they're going to pay Dak. They can't wait to pay Dak. They love it. They want to pay Dak. They want to make him the highest paid player. Look, look. The only reason that Kyle Allen is on the, the only reason Cam Newton's on the street and Kyle Allen's in Washington, because when Cam Newton walks into your locker room, if he walks into Chicago, let me ask you this question: If if Cam Newton walks into Chicago, right, every player on the Chicago Bears are going to say, "We got our guy." There goes Mitchell Trubisky out the window, right? He's gonna he, he's gonna be like the Pied Piper of the locker room, right? Okay, that. That move there, the reason the Bears, which I completely disagree with, I would make, the reason the Bears went with Nick Foles, who's a nice guy, he's a wonderful kid, he's great, he's not going to challenge everything, you know, everything's fine, right? The reason they went with Nick Foles is because it won't upset Mitchell. They didn't go with Cam, right? So that's a whole different other story. The reason Cam's not employed right now is because there are jobs that are out there that aren't starting jobs. Cam's a starter, Cam wants to start. Now, New England could be a place for him if they have money and do all that. We talked about that earlier. But Jacksonville should be all over Cam. They need to sell tickets. They got to play. They got eight home games. They're not going to London. So they bet they could, they should sign them. But at some point, like there's, there's different stories for different things. And it just shows how ex-players have no idea about how to run a team. And when they start quoting like that, when they start making those statements, you know, it's like pay Dak. Like they're going to pay Dak. How about having a good team? Very dangerous, too, when you throw race in the equation. Like you said, I, I, I'm i uncomfortable with that storyline. I just don't think that's the case. Like you said, if you sign Cam Newton, that'd be a threat to the incumbent quarterback. Andy Dalton is not a threat. That guy's about as milk dose as it gets. He's just going to come in there, do the gig, and that's it. And maybe he'll get a chance to be a starter again, but your analysis of him is bang on. 2020 quarterback. He's never going to be a star. No, he's not. I mean, he, and, and, and he's not going to, nobody's going to pay him as a starting quarterback. He knows that. So he took his $3 million and he stayed home like I mean you know he he knows it he's going to be he's not he's not going to be Ryan Tannehill coming to take over he's going to come in there hey you know I'm, I'm Andy Dalton you know you know it's nice you know he's kind of like Ralph Mal from uh, uh Happy Days you know hi here I am you know it's kind of good day let's go <laughs> let's see what happens in Dallas uh, like I said Dak will get paid at some point sooner rather than later one other thought before we get to our entertainment segment of the show a new soprano scene for the Sopranos in quarantine plus the homeland finale but some sad news Mike is Don Shula NFL's winningest coach led the Dolphins to the league's only undefeated season, passed away on Monday, 90 years of age, died peacefully at his home, won an NFL record 347 games. Of course, everyone remembers 1972, the 17-0 year, and the 14-7 win over the Redskins in the Super Bowl. But how about the quarterbacks? Three Hall of Fame quarterbacks he coached, Johnny Unitas, Bob Greasy, Dan Marino, and 26 seasons in Miami. I mean, he's an institution, an expressway, an athletic club, a steakhouse chain. Everyone knows and reveres Don Shula in South Florida. No doubt. I mean, the remarkable career. You know, I think what, when I think of Don Shula, I think the word that comes to my mind is adaptation. 
his ability to adapt. I mean, you know, the 72 team was led by a bunch of no-name guys on defense, which shows you his, his willingness to coach and, 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 and develop players. But then also the fact that they ran the ball. I think, I think Greasy threw it 12, 13 times a game during the 72 season. That's about it, right? And then he gets Marino and he's throwing it 45 times a game. You know, it's just to, the ability to adapt to the changes and the evolution of the game is why. And I think at the end of the day, you know, Don Shula wasn't a coach. He was truly a teacher. And teachers always prevail when, you, when you're talking about coaches. I mean, that's the fundamental thing you've got to be able to do is teach the subject matter and be adaptable. And, and there was no doubt he was. And, and the wins stand up time. And I think the hardest part for the Dolphins have been since Don left is, is it's always challenging for organizations to replace a legend. It is. You know, it's like because most of the people that have any DNA within the Dolphins always say, well, we didn't do that the way Don did it. You know, you know, we, you know, Don did it this way or Don, you know, and those are ingrained in there. And it's hard to adapt without the guy who did the adapting. So it's a great tribute. 90 tremendous years of life, you know, uh, from Painesville, Ohio to, to Miami, Florida. It's a wonderful career. Such a young head coach. Really remarkable. I, love, I really like Mike Shula as a human being and as a coach. Uh, I know Mike. David, I don't know as well. David was the head coach of the Bengals. But the one thing I do know, when I hear Don Shula, I think of the Dolphins, and I think of having to have dinner with Al Davis at the Don Shula Steakhouse every single night during the Combine. Those were, and watch him watch him lap on that prime rib, that was, that, that'll always come to my head. It's beautiful. You've always got so many stories, and obviously a, a long time spent in the NFL. I knew you'd have a Don Shula story for me. I can just picture him right now, smiling, laughing, Al Davis telling stories. It's beautiful. Rest in peace to Don Shula, and the best, of course, to the Shula family. When we come back, David Chase, of course, is listening to the GM Shuffle. He knows Mike and I are locked in on the Sopranos all these years later. We kept saying, what's it like right now for the Sopranos living through a quarantine COVID-19? Well, David Chase imagined a new scene. We'll tell you all about it next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures market, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New Customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Well, Mike and I were discussing the fact, what if David Chase wrote a new episode of The Sopranos? What would be happening right now during COVID-19? And of course, David Chase has got some time on his hands, and what the hell? He, he did what all of us have been wanting him to do, which is write a new scene. So actors Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa, they played Christopher and Bobby Bacala on the show. They've got a podcast called Talking Sopranos, and Sharippa said it's the first time Chase has written them since 07. He was nice enough to let them read it. And it talks about how the characters right now will be dealing with this pandemic. AJ Soprano, Tony's son admitting at one time, I wanted to work for Trump. Tony himself saying, in my father's day, you got polio, tuberculosis, whatever the fuck you dealt with it. Whatever happened to Gary Cooper, which is one of the greatest <laughs> lines ever of the show. But here's the one I want you to jump in on, Mike. Silvio Dante, Tony's consigliere and manager of the Bada Bing says, we told the girls we'd keep them all on furlough. Lap dancers were the first to go. <laughs> I mean, and what it proves is to tone that the guy in the members only jacket didn't kill Tony. Like that's what it proves. Cause Tony's with us in this quarantine, right? Doesn't it prove that, that it, he went with it? Like, did you think the members only guy shot Tony? No, I thought for a show that was so referential, especially for guys like you and me who love so many mob shows and TV shows, he was playing with conventions saying, oh, you guys have all memorized The Godfather. You watched it a million times. So I'm going to pay homage to when Michael Corleone goes in the bathroom to get a gun to shoot McCluskey and Salazzo. But of course, that's not what's going to happen because that was in The Godfather and my show's different. I'm just paying homage to it. I never thought he shot him. No, why would he have to? You know, that guy in the members only jacket wasn't frisked down. Like you tell me one mafia hit that the guy comes in, has a cup of coffee before he comes in shooting. I mean, you know, it's like, remember when Clemenza was giving Michael instructions, you know, you know, just shoot and drop the gun and don't, and just move fast. You know, you know, everybody's going to be scared to look at you. You know, the guy in the members only jacket, I mean, he's going to kill Tony. He'd have killed him the minute he walked in there. You know, I, I, I don't, I, all these theories, it's like, have you read the Hotel California theories about the mythology behind the song and all this and all that? Like, it's what you want it to be. It isn't what they intended it to be. And it's the same thing with Chase and I think the ending. I think the ending is what do you want, where do you want Tony to be? Like, I think Tony left there after eating the onion rings. He probably had a little agita. He went home, watched Don Dean Martin on TV, had some ice cream, right? And I'm sure, and, and, and Carlo probably got him, got him in some trouble. I'm sure he had to do some shit on Carlo. Carlo was going to dime him out now he to me it's either he's going to prison you know he's going to give he's going to give us that he's going to give his attorney a wrath of shit you know and so you know i think that that to me was the ending i don't think he got killed i think the 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 killings were over when that tire went over phil leotardo's face i think that was the end of it right there By the way, one of the great death he's ever, waving bye-bye to his grandkids. He's got that stupid grin on his face, and then the tire gets in. That was tremendous. What, what, what's his greatest line of all, my, my scrapbook has no scraps. 
I mean, you know, like that, get it done. Like, I think that scene is still the best. Look, I got to advise here. You know, you're right in spirit, but I have to advise. Get it done. It's just a crew. They're just a glorified crew over there. No question. Also, with a new scene that Chase had written, you've got Tony describing Satriali's pork store, which is, of course, used as a mafia hangout, as essential critical infrastructure. (laughs) And Adriana Lacerba referring to her irritable bowel syndrome as an underlying condition. Could you imagine? This is my IBS. It's an underlying condition. But this goes back to your point. You had said before to me, hey, the bada bing, they would figure out a way to just pay off the cops and have it be an essential service if they were around right now. No doubt. No doubt. It would be. I mean, and you could you imagine the bada bing right now with legalized gambling here in New Jersey? I mean, they would have a whole section over there. They, the bing would be like, you know, the bing would be uh, they would be taking action left and right. You could see it. I mean, and no one would disrespect the bing. Trust me. Uh, the Many Saints of Newark, which is going to be Chase's new film. It's a prequel to The Sopranos starring James Gandolfini's son, Michael. It's going to be released March of 2021. Now we get to the moment we've all been waiting for. Nobody has been eviscerating Homeland with more humor and more passion than Michael Lombardi. At last, the show is over. Eight seasons and the 12th episode of the eighth season has... Well, what the hell? There's no spoiler alert. We can just spoil it. Mike, what the hell happened to Carrie? Did she die? Oh, no, of course she didn't die. No, of course she didn't die. She's living comfortably in 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 a communistic country right? You know, in Russia, in a beautiful apartment that looks over the square and she's visiting the opera, you know, and oh, by the way, she's now turned into a American agent living in Russia. She's going to send Saul stuff like, like, seriously, do we believe like, like the Soviet unit, are they that stupid that they're going to let this woman into their country and not watch her like a hawk 24 seven? Like she's going to go to the mailbox mailbox and run, send books back to somebody. Seriously. Well, I didn't want to watch the whole episode because I said it's it's too pointless. But to your point, I literally forwarded it, Mike, and I just watched the last five minutes. And I was like, okay, Saul lives. I'm happy about that. But you're right. The last scene, he opens up a book from Carrie. And the last shot is her, is her like at a jazz concert, like all happy. And, and she sent him a note inside this book. And the book is about why I committed treason against my country. And they both live at the end. I'm like, come on. I mean, and then how about this? She writes the book. Like, I've written a book, right? Like, it's hard to write a book from just memory. Like, okay, thank God for OneNote. I got a lot of shit in OneNote. But I mean, she writes this book from memory. Like, where is she getting documents from? It's like, she's over in Russia. She's got nothing. Meanwhile, you know, forget her kid, you know. But just, you know, I got no time for my kid. I'm just going to leave my kid alone. You know, I think Homeland was too cheap to pay for a little actress to at least have her have a goodbye. Like, like if I was writing that show, we got to have her say goodbye to the kid. Like, they got cheap. I think they couldn't find a red-haired kid. Like, seriously. I mean, I'm sure Andy Dalton has a redheaded daughter they could have borrowed. I mean, seriously, it's ridiculous, right? And then she's in our country. She's, she's, she's a criminal. She's a terrorist, according to the, you know, every charge. She's got no ankle bracelet. She moves. I think the only good thing about that I saw in that final episode was that the, the CIA woman who played, uh, who was like her partner over there, overseas with her, and then she came back. That that woman might have been the dumbest CIA agent ever in the history. Now she shouldn't have not only been fired, but the person who hired her should have been fired because <laughs> she was beyond stupid. And America's safer now because she's no longer a CIA agent because she quit. Thank God, thank God, she might have been the dumbest agent. Like if I was that actress playing that role, they're like, just why are you making me so fucking dumb? Like seriously, I can't be this dumb. I'm in the CIA. Like I I, I had to finish top them. They don't, they don't recruit dumb people. 
you know? And then here's the other thing, right? We got a terrorist over there who blows up a bus, kills a bunch of Americans, and we never even touch that plot line. Like, we just assume he, it's just like uh, Austin Powers. We just assume it's all going to plan. Like, seriously. It's so bad. Thank God it's over. The end is over. Thank God it's over. And thank God I finally started watching Succession. I can thank a quarantine, Mike. Finally got a lot of time on my hands. My wife came in and said, what do you want to watch? I said, well, everyone keeps telling me about Succession. Let's do it. 20 episodes. We're 15 down, five more to go. I mean, this is one of these shows. You think of King Lear. You think of the Godfather, aging patriarch, trying to decide which of his kids he can hang over his empire to. The dialogue has this great musicality to it. It's very profane. It's very funny. At times, I kind of get lost in the minutia of the business and the way everything gets run. But God, Brian Cox as the lead character, Logan Roy, that guy's chewing scenery with the best of him. He's tremendous. He really is. You know, and it's interesting. When I watched the first, Millie and I started watching it, and then we stopped. We started, stopped. And and it, it always reminds me of what Neil Simon said about plays. Neil Simon, and I think people should pick your friends this way too, is Neil Simon said he had hard time. Neil Simon was a playwright back in the 50s and 60s, odd couple, you know, barefoot in the park, all that. And he would said that he had a really hard time writing plays and finishing plays because he never made the characters interesting or likable enough that the audience wanted to see them in act three. The Sopranos is the perfect example. Tony's, you know, we know Tony's a sociopath. We know Tony's a killer, but he's likable and he's really interesting. So we want to see him in act three, right? And when I was watching Succession, I never, I, I did not like any character. I thought they were all bad. Like, I mean, uh, Macaulay Calkin's brother is so obnoxious. Like, I could, like, like seriously, I'm having enough. Like, I'm getting anxiety just watching him. But then once we kind of got into the rhythm of the show, I, I'm like with you. I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. The writing I thought was brilliant. I thought it was fabulous. No one trusts anyone in the family. You know, even though, you know, have you gotten to the scene where where uh, Cameron, I can only call him Cameron from uh, – from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Ca- the character who played Cameron in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Remember him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he says to his dad, you know, look, I'm a li- he's trying to run for president, which is hilarious, right? Have you gotten to the part where he wants to run for president yet? Yeah, Alan Ruck is the actor. He's from Spin City. You're right. He's ridiculous because his character, Connor, is like, he's like this earthy guy. He's got his place out there in New Mexico. Like, he, he's completely bonkers. He's with a woman who's a former hooker. Yeah. And he's trying to make her go straight. Like, I'll, I'll get you a Broadway show, honey. Yeah. He's telling his dad, you're right, he wants to be run for president. Yeah. And then he wants, and then he says to his old man, I just need a I just need a hundred million. Can you loan me? Can you give me a hundred million? Like, seriously, like what world are we living in here? Just throw me a hundred million, will you please? I mean, like seriously. But you're right about the the, the, the characters being so obnoxious because the first episode I thought was intriguing. Exactly what you said with Neil Summit. Hey, is it interesting? Yeah. But episodes two, three, four, you're right. My wife goes, I don't know why we're watching this. Every single one of these guys, I don't like one of these characters. Like They're all horrible people. And for some reason, you're right. Even though they're despicable, they are interesting. And it started to shift a little bit. My wife still hates Shiv. She cannot stand Shiv. She goes, this chick is the worst. Like, how the hell <laughs> yeah. is he trusting her with anything in this family? She sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, she, and I think she might actually be the most normal of them all. And then and then when it comes full circle, you know, the, you know, um, the 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 other the, the oldest brother who just wants to be in charge. I mean, you know, like 
How about when he sends the girlfriend home from over wherever the hell they were in Vienna or somewhere, and he just barely just has her, get her out of here, send her home? How about that? Oh. Have you gotten to that part yet? Well, no, I haven't seen that part yet, but Kendall, that character, you're right. In some ways, I think of Chrissy, because I'm like, you know what? This guy seems like a hardworking guy. He seems like he's got it together, but then he's this terrible drug addict, and he's completely unreliable. Like, the, the, the first episode ending, you go, oh, my God. Like, he tried to take down his dad, and I think his dad respects the fact, hey, this guy had the balls to try to take me down but at the end of the day he's a drug addict how unreliable can you be I, I mean and even the even the nephew I mean he's so weird and so out of it you know I mean it's like but at some point it's kind of like you know when I watch it I think of the great Joe Walsh's line in the Eagles documentary where Joe Walsh goes off on this tangent about and he quotes some philosopher which he obviously can't remember who the philosopher is and he goes off on this tangent and he says, you know, there's events that come crashing and happen and you don't understand it at the time and you go through it all. And at the end of it, it all makes sense like a finely crafted novel. And to me, that's what this show is. It's like it makes no sense, but it gets finely crafted like a great novel. Well said. That's perfectly expressed. And Kieran Culkin, you're right. Macaulay Culkin's brother. I mean, he is about as obnoxious as it gets but also really funny. Like those one-liners are ridiculously funny. And, yeah, they're really good. Right? I wouldn't want to hang out with the guy. I think he's a, a horrible guy. He's totally a rich kid, but- Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know if I want to have dinner with any of them. Like, I'm not sure I want to have dinner with any of them. Like, like the best guy, to me, the best guy of all is, is Shiv's husband. Yes. Like if he isn't as transparent as anything, like it's about me, 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 <laughs> you know? You know, it's like, it's for me, 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 you know? Like seriously- Oh, yeah. My wife finds him hilarious. She goes, oh. every single time Shiv has good news about her ascent, she's like, wait, did, did Logan mention me? Like, I, th I thought we wanted this for me. Like, he, he cannot be more obvious how selfish she is. It, it proves the point about Shiv. Like, how dumb is Shiv? She can marry. This guy, he makes no bones about who he is. He only married you because you're freaking wealthy. He didn't marry you because he loves you. He married you because he loves himself and he needs you. That's why he married you. That's great. It's such a good show. If you haven't seen it, check out Succession on HBO. Be safe out there, everybody. Wash your hands, stay home, follow us on Instagram at the GM Shuffle, and we'll dial up a new episode for you next week. <laughs>